0: Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I'm Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year, I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail the ones I've liked the most. Welcome back to Book Club of One. By next episode, we'll have a new introduction, moving beyond just the books I like to just books that I've read that seem meaningful or worth sharing, or some other phrasing. I've got two weeks to figure it out, but by next episode, we should have a new introduction. So summer is hitting its stride, at least when it comes to the temperature. It was a hot week for us here where I record. I'm sure it's warm elsewhere, particularly in the north. And while the co- coronavirus lockdowns have been relaxed, new cases continue to be announced. So think about staying at home with the bulk. And again, we'll be sharing some, so... If you've made it through your to-read list, we'll have some other recommendations. So in past episodes, when we've talked about Black Lives Matter or other organizations, uh, one I neglected to mention was Surge, or Show Up for Racial Justice. They are a national network of groups and individuals working to undermine white supremacy and work for racial justice. They have chapters across the United States, and you can visit their webpage for more information or how to get involved in a local chapter. So this week, uh, we'll be, have two featured Black Lives Matter-inspired books. Uh, the first is White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin DiAngelo with a foreword by Michael Eric Dyson. So Robin DiAngelo is an American academic, lecturer, and author working in the fields of critical discourse, analysis, and whiteness studies. She formerly served as a tenured professor of multicultural education at Westfield State University and is currently an affiliate associate professor of education at the University of Washington in Seattle. She is known for her work pertaining to white fragility, a term which she coined in 2011, all that coming from her Goodreads bio. Michael Eric Dyson is an American academic author and radio host. He is a professor of sociology at Georgetown University and author of Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America. So this book is required reading for faculty at a nearby college and at its center, it explores the counterproductive reactions white people have when their assumptions about race are challenged and how these reactions maintain racial inequality. So page length, it is fairly short, But this is one that you definitely want to, if you choose to read it, to spend some time with each chapter. Uh, And as mentioned, uh, D'Angelo is the one who coined white fragility. That is defined as discomfort and defensiveness on the part of a white person when confronted by information about racial inequality and injustice. So the the work itself uh, is focused on the white experience Uh, with anecdotes from D'Angelo's experience, uh, both her personally and she has led many workshops, so it kind of toggles between those two different viewpoints, as well as just using general examples. One of the main things to highlight in this is just how easy the topic can be ignored by a white person. Uh, Because this and our following book kind of serve to pair nicely in in discussing this issue, is we live in, at least in in the United States and many other nations globally, we live in white supremacist societies. So what that means in BASIC is that white people are in charge and to some degree, those in power are are seeking to maintain that. We see that most notably with our our current president and a lot of his policies and choices. Uh, Going back to the book, Uh, It's a helpful guide for starting to consider your own place in the world and what biases you may have that you were not aware of beforehand. A lot of this does require reflecting, thinking, remembering your own experience and maybe exploring why you feel those way you do or why you react in the manner you do. It definitely encourages that kind of self-reflection and it considers it to be an ongoing process. So, our, our second book is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. So, Kendi is an American historian, uh, a National Book Award winner, and a number one New York Times bestselling author. He is the Andrew W. Mellon Professor in the Humanities and the founding director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research, as well as a contributing writer at The Atlantic and a CBS News correspondent. Uh, So this has been on my reading list since it came out uh, last year in 2019 and with the Black Lives Matter movement resurging following the the murder of George Floyd uh, came out something I should probably read sooner. So the how to be an anti-racist is centered on asking the reader to think about what an anti-racist society might look like and how we can play an active role in building it. Kendi weaves together a combination of ethics, history, law, and science, bringing it all together with an engaging personal narrative of his own awakening to anti-racism. So Kendi is a humble narrator. He shares his own personal struggle with identification and racist thought. So there are, there are many times in this, like he talks about being seven and realizing he's black, or later in his college years, how, learning that you can have the intersectional identifications, like you can be black and uh, and gay. You can't, it's not you can only be one thing, it's realizing that you can have those multiple identities and still be yourself. Uh, the larger crux of Kennedy's work is focused on governmental policy as the divisive force. So yes, there is what people personally believe, but what does the most harm is the governmental policies, both on the local and national level that allow for a lot of the mistreatment or loss of opportunity. Uh, A particular quote I made sure to note was on page 10 and Kendi states, what we say about race, what we do about race in each movement moment, excuse me, determines what, not who we are. The movement from racist to anti-racist is always ongoing. So like in D'Angelo, this is not something we can just read the book and be fine you know, and know what we we're doing. This takes continual reflection, learning, and it can be seen as a reflection in a series of steps. So for both of these books, they speak to understanding the issues and changing thought as a process that will be ongoing. We cannot just read one or two of these works and declare ourselves an anti-racist. It will take work, reflection, the willingness to be wrong and open to feedback and learning from these mistakes. I know I personally have my own bias, biases and pre- prejudices, but being more conscious of them will help me to address them and move me closer to being an anti-racist. Again, yeah, like, like we talk about in higher education, finding the lifelong learner. You want someone who is going to be, able, be willing to commit to that process long term, and unfortunately not everyone is. But the more people were able to engage in this sort of dialogue, the more in, they'll be involved with it, and the harder it will be to avoid. Switching now to just the general book recommendations. Uh, book the third book of this week is The Five. The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenhold. So Rubenhold is a British social historian, broadcaster and historical consultant for TV and film. Her work specializes in the 18th and 19th century social history and women's history. Where did this come? Where did I become aware of this book? I honestly have no idea. It's possible it came up on a Goodreads giveaway and it looked like some, uh, from the description it looked interesting. I cannot remember which, it's kind of rare, but uh, the book itself is the full-length biography of the Ripper's victims. Disregarded by society for over 130 years, the five pieces together their individual stories and overturns much of the mythology surrounding their lives, including the belief that all of the women were involved in prostitution. And that description comes from Rubenhold's web webpage with uh, uh, some slight editing. So the, the work itself. Uh, is honestly a devastating look at how easy it was to be struggling in Victorian England. It is purely purely focused on those five women. Uh, Jack the Ripper is mentioned as briefly as possible, so that it, it does not in any way glorify the murders and does not spend any time trying to identify who the Jack the Ripper was. Uh, for each of the, the women, it provides as much of their lives as, do, as documents supported, so it goes for most of them from their birth up until they found themselves on the streets or in the Whitechapel neighborhood. Uh, and again, while it does not detail their actual murders, there is usually a paragraph or a last page for each of the, the victims that details the, the, a family member, a loved one, a friend, going to the morgue to identify their bodies. So definitely not, again, not a light read as seems to be the trend this week. Uh, but certainly something any true crime fan would would find interesting and, again, gives, gives these women more of their voices back. Something that I hope we see in more true crime works of being able to say more about the victims than, than the murderer or shooter or whatever category of assailant these the people suffered from. Book number four finally brings us to something perhaps a little bit lighter. So book number four is Outlander. It's the first book in the Outlander series by Diana Gabladon. Gabladon is an American author best known for this series. She also holds three degrees in science, zoology, marine biology, and a PhD in quantitative behavioral ecology, and spent a dozen years as a university professor with an expertise in scientific computation before beginning to write fiction. She has written scientific articles and textbooks, worked as a contributing editor on uh, a computer encyclopedia and, and as well as founding the scientific computation journal, Science Software Quarterly. And if that wasn't enough, has also written numerous comic book scripts for Walt Disney. So, in some ways, a resume that, when you look at it probably is all over the place. So this book came to me by way of several family members uh, having read it and watched the show. And from their descriptions or hearing them discuss certain plot points, I was curious enough, and uh, we had a copy in the house, so I gave it a try. So for those of you who have somehow missed what all it is, uh, Gablodon explain it succinctly: is historical fiction with a Mobius twist. If that wasn't clear enough, uh, it's Claire Randall, a former combat nurse, is just back from World War II and reunites with her husband, and they have a second honeymoon. and then she walks through a a circle of stones in and is in in Scotland and is suddenly well she's not in Scotland at the time but she is sent back two hundred years and suddenly she is a Sassenach, an outlander in a Scotland torn by war and raiding border clans in seventeen forty three. So this one is one of the longest books. Uh, The paperback version I was reading was around 150 pages, but it did not read that way. Uh, For those of you who've watched the show and got sucked in or read the book on your own can speak to this of you do get sucked in pretty quickly with narrative. And in in thinking of that, so again, it starts in the 1940s then jumps back to the 1740s. Uh, And from my knowledge, again, not the greatest for that time period, 1740s is well below but well before World War I, but uh, from what I could read through, it, the past seemed realistic and honest, and I would never feel clean again. Um, but they, the level of hygiene did kind of surprise me. Uh, and the love story is not terrible. Uh, minor spoilers, there's no needless stretching out of the will they or won't they? They definitely do. It happens early, and that plot point does not get dragged on across books. Uh, But one of the the amazing things is how quickly Claire is able to adjust from the trauma of time travel. Because again, she travels back 200 years and immediately gets into trouble. And uh, like some of the plot point revolves around the fact that she talks a little differently and what she is wearing is taken as a completely different manner from what we would consider it. And one of the best things about this book is that claire is a strong and intelligent female lead character in a fantasy time travel story so uh, having read anne McCaffrey's like dragon uh dragons of something i'm blanking on the name and i apologize for that but that one had a, a main female character and it was all sorts of problematic with her with our current views but in in this one again having been written or published in the, the early 90s it's wonderful to have an elite character that capable. And she is not the only one. So uh, I have a friend who's spoken of Patrick Rothfuss's books, the King Killer Chronicles. And while I'm curious to, to read those, the takeaway from the first one in the series is that it's all dudes. So again, nice nice to have a female writer writing strong, capable female characters. So our last book for this week uh, is our number five, which unfortunately falls in the biggest disappointment. Uh, And this is The Ballad of the Songbirds and Snakes, Hunger Games Number Zero by Suzanne Collins. So Suzanne Collins is an American television writer and author best known for the Hunger Game books. Uh, This one was received as a gift. Uh, It wasn't you, it was the book. Please, please don't take offense to this. the the plot summary is for the 10th Hunger Games. 18-year-old Coriolanus Snow is preparing for his one shot at glory as a mentor in the games. The once mighty House of Snow has fallen on hard times and its fate is hanging on the slender chance that Snow will be able to outcharm, outwit, and outmaneuver his fellow students to mentor the winning tribute. So again, this is the the prequel to the hunger games explaining the background and rise to power of one of the the, the president of panem who it, katniss ever Dean faces off against in the hunger games trilogy so many reasons i didn't like this one uh first off it felt way too long uh compared to the the hunger games individual books. it, it was i think a, a good 150 to 200 page longer in each of those entries. Uh, and while it did move quickly, once we got to the Hunger Game portion of this book, that part went quickly. But that was kind of the, the middle to late arc. And it ends. And then there's still more to go. Uh, and the, the other major problem is, is the one inherent anytime you're doing a prequel is you already know where it ends in the long term. So the character you're, you're seeing rise, you already know what they are going to do. So when every time there's like a choice, like, could I do the good thing or the bad thing? In this example, knowing he's the bad guy, you know, he's probably going to make the choice that is better for him at the expense of others around him. So there's way less investment in the moral quandaries of wondering what he's gonna choose. You know, he's probably going to pick the one more self-serving. Yeah, he's the bad guy. And then there were some very notable, notable segments when it almost felt like the author was trying real hard to be subtle and wink at me that were very glaring. At one point, a character holds up a root and says, it's Katniss. And also the, uh, the song that they used and the trilogy comes up here, uh, and also shows us the person who came up with that song. You may or may not invest the same amount of time in that as I as I did. Well, that's all our books for for this week. So uh, just two quick books current I'm uh, going to be reading soon, or currently am reading. Uh, the first is War Against the Weak. Eugenics and America's Campaign to Create a Master Race by Edwin Black. So this came out way back in 2003, and it connects the crimes of the Nazis to its pseudo-scientific American movement of the early 20th century called eugenics. Based on selective breeding of human beings, eugenics began in laboratories on Long Island, but ended in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. Uh, And so right now, I'm about 50 pages in, so a lot of the foundational texts and personalities who, who pushed for this policy, policies and uh, science, pseudoscience, have been in place and they're beginning to, to establish themselves. So don't expect it to be an easy read, but I, I will be very interested in looking through the sources because Edwin Black, in his introduction and acknowledgments, talks about the long process that went in this of gathering up all the different documents using different, researcher groups. The other to be read soon book is How Much of These Hills Are Gold by C. Pam Zhang. Uh, And it is the summary I have for it here pulled directly from Goodreads. Ba dies in the night. Ma is already gone. Newly orphaned children of immigrants Lucy and Sam are suddenly alone in the land that refutes their existence. Fleeing the threats of their western mining town, they set off to bury their father in the only way that will set them free from their past. Along the way, they encounter giant buffalo bones, tiger paw prints, and the specters of a ravaged landscape, as well as family secrets, sibling rivalry, and glimpses of a different kind of future. And uh, one I I learned about much more recently is Max Brooks had a new book. uh, And I think that might be coming to my local library soon. So that will also, hopefully, be on our, our, our list soon. So thanks for listening, and here comes the outro. Okay. If you like the description of any of the books shared here, visit the show notes for links for WorldCat, uh, showing libraries you may be able to borrow it through, or links to purchase through IndieBound or bookshop.org. In addition, if you have never used thrift books before, meaning you have no account, uh, there's a provided link to get 15% off your first order, and I will get 50 points towards a free book. Some exclusions do apply to that 15%. You can find Book Club of One on Instagram and Gmail as Book Club of Uno, uh, or you can find us on Goodreads and through podcasts like the one you're listening to as Book Club of One. This podcast is made and distributed through Anchor.fm. Check back in two weeks, and remember, no one should be shamed for reading.